0: Well, what a great opportunity we have once again this morning to come together and study the Word of God. I'll ask you to take your Bibles and open them with me to the Gospel of Luke. We are continuing our study of the wonderful beginnings of God's intervention into time, time that He created, where we are not in a time in which God did not create. This is His time. And it's a time which He created for the coming of His Messiah. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to focus our attention this morning beginning in verse 18 through 25. And so I want to again read for us actually from verse 5 all the way down through verse 25 just so we have our minds once again wrapped in the whole scene. Luke tells us, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it came about, while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense." Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth.'" And he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as the forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready. A people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you shall be silent until and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. They kept making signs to them and remained moot. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Zacharias and Elizabeth were... Just normal people. Two people living their lives in a relatively uneventful way. Not well known, not famous, not socially popular. In fact, according to verse 5, Zacharias was just a certain priest. He was a certain priest, and she was his wife, who happened to be born in a priestly family. She was one of the daughters of Aaron. So he wasn't known as the high priest, might be known to all the people. He didn't hold that kind of office as a priest. Luke gives us no description that would indicate in any way that he is anything other than a certain priest. In other words, he's just one of thousands of priests that were in the priestly line alive during those times, and he was living in the hills, he lives on the outskirts of town, and he did what priests do. He would serve his two different weeks of the year at the temple, as all priests in their divisions would do, and then they would return home, and he, like any priest, would do what he would do at home. He would teach people from the Old Testament. He would talk to people about their issues in life. He would attend to the domestic cares of the home as he was around his wife Elizabeth. And One thing was missing, however. The text tells us that he and his wife had no child. They had not been able to have a child. They desired a child since they were married. In their married life, God had said... Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. They they wanted to fulfill what God had commanded and to procreate and to have a child. In fact, they had continually prayed to God that He might give them a child. But now, now the years are gone. That had not happened. And now they're advanced in years, as it says. They're old. They're beyond the natural child bearing years. They're beyond the natural time when a husband and wife in their years of life would have the capability of child production. And if you didn't have a child in the Middle East, if you were a woman who could not bear children, that was an absolute disgrace. You would have been someone who was seen as disgraceful. Something must have taken place in your life. There must be something wrong with you. There must be some kind of secret sin in your life that God is doing what He's doing to you and withholding children from you. And so life for you, while very uneventful for the most part, would have been filled with much heartache. Year after year after year. After a year, nothing changed. Not only have you been praying for a child, but you've been praying for your nation. You're a priest. And as a priest, you knew what God had promised hundreds of years prior through the prophets. You knew what the old prophets had said. You knew that He would send His Messiah to save His people and that blessing would come to all the earth through Messiah. You knew that. You knew that He would come through the seed of a woman. And so part of your prayer was just that. In fact, that would have probably been the prayer of most women who were Jews during that time that the Messiah would come through their home. And the message is that you will have a son. This supernatural being is telling you that he will be great in the sight of the Lord, that he will be set apart for a specific task, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He will preach a message of salvation through faith in the Messiah. And many would be turned to the Lord. And so here you are carrying out your normal life. You go to the temple. You are... Picked to offer the incense offering, something you did not expect, something that may not ever happen in your lifetime. This is a large moment for you. And while doing that, you're confronted by this supernatural messenger that gives you this message. It's an astonishing moment. You have prayed. You have been praying all along. You have spent days and weeks and nights pondering all that you knew about God's promises given through the previous prophets. You continually thought about that in your life. You have spent your life living according to all that God had commanded of those who followed him. You are righteous in the sight of God. You have believed God. You have believed what He commanded. You have followed what God said. And now here you are, hearing this message. And out of your frightened bewilderment, you respond. Now, For our time this morning, I want to just give us a simple outline so that we can hang our thoughts on what's going on here. Luke lays out for us four actions in light of God's message from Gabriel. Four actions. The first thing is Zacharias' response. We'll see that in verse 18. The second thought that we can hang our thoughts on is Gabriel's reaction or the angel's reaction. Verse 19. Number three is the just retribution given in verse 20. The just retribution. And then number four is the following results. Verse 21 through 25. So Zacharias' response, the angel's reaction, the just retribution, and the following results. So let's just take these together. Let's begin to unpack all of this for us. Verse 18 says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. This is Zacharias' response to the message. It was ironic when he was being given the message from the angel in the previous verses that as Gabriel was telling him what was going to go on, don't be afraid, Zacharias, verse 13, your petition's been heard, your wife will have a son, you will give him the name John, and you will have joy, gladness, and rejoice at his birth. You notice that was said, that's what's going to happen, and thus far none of that has happened. Zacharias isn't joyful. He's fearful. He's not filled with gladness. He's filled with bewilderment and wonder. He isn't rejoicing because John hasn't been born yet. And in fact, the name of this child is going to have nothing to do with his family line. And here Zacharias is in his response. Now put yourself in his sandals. I almost said shoes, but he didn't wear shoes. Put on his sandals. You're going about your business. You're there on that day as prescribed in the holy place. And at this very moment, your heart is beating probably more than it would at a prior time because you have entered the holy place. This is a, a time which you would never have done before. You were chosen by lot in order to carry this out. You haven't done this before. You haven't carried out this this act. You 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 know of it. You've read about it. You've heard from other priests how to go about it. You probably even practiced. And yet now here you are. You have to carry it out. And you're nervous just about that because you know if you do something wrong, you could immediately die. You know that because you, you know of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. You know that they offered God strange fire. And they were consumed by God in a moment, incinerated in a second from the holiness of God. So your heart's already beating fast. And then when you're doing what you're doing, a supernatural being appears to the right of the altar, the, the side of power. And he gives you A message that is just out of this world. To say the least, your head is spinning, and so you respond to the message. You're a godly man, and you respond in unbelief. You don't believe it. Now, let's not make a mistake here in our own thinking. And by making a mistake in our thinking, thereby we have a mistake in our own understanding. We cannot hear what God says and begin to think that He means, by what He says, that Zacharias simply doubts. We cannot mean that. Doubt and unbelief are not the same. Okay, It's sad to me, really, in reality, even in our day and age, that... We have come to use those terms in a synonymous form. They should not be used that way. They are not the same. Listen, Thomas was not doubting Thomas. You understand that? Thomas was not doubting Thomas. You say, really? Yeah, just listen. Just listen. Thomas refused to believe. Listen, John 20, verse 25 to 29. Jesus is there, the... Other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. That is Jesus' disciples, and Thomas is with them. And although the doors are locked, Jesus comes and stands among them. Jesus has the master key to every building. He just comes in, he stands among them. And Jesus says, Peace be to you. There's a supernatural being among you. Gotta tell you, don't be afraid. Peace be to you. And he says directly to Thomas, put your finger here. Remember what Thomas said? Unless I put my finger on the, in the nail spots. Jesus says, put your finger here, Thomas. Jesus wasn't there when that conversation went on. Jesus knows. Put your finger here. See my hands? Look. Look. See my hands? He says, put out your hand, Thomas. Put it in my side. That's what Thomas said. Unless I see the nail prints, unless I touch his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Do it, Thomas. And then Jesus said, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed be those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas was not a doubter. Thomas was a disbeliever. He didn't doubt that Jesus had risen. No, he didn't believe it at all. Zacharias isn't doubting the message from Gabriel. He's not believing it. He's not believing it. And knowing our own hearts, knowing us, and and my own heart as a Christian, and, and I'm sure your heart as a Christian, none of us here have difficulty in understanding Zacharias's lack of faith right there, do we? We go, this is a moment lack of faith. This is, he, he just doesn't believe it, right? After all, from a human vantage point, if we just think on a human level, what was being said to him was an impossible message. Zacharias, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be born to your barren wife. It's going to happen just like I said, and I know you're old, and I know she's barren. Zacharias is going on a human level. This is crazy. This is nonsense. This is impossible. I'm old. My wife's old. Old people don't have children. Not in a natural human way anyway. They are beyond childbearing. It just doesn't happen. It would have to be a miracle. And listen, miracle, a miracle hasn't happened in Jerusalem since for over 500 years. There's been no miracles happening. Those things are talked about in history, but not reality. Makes sense, doesn't it? Right? We we look at Zacharias and go, yeah, of course he doesn't believe this. It's craziness. But it's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking, right? He's a righteous man, he's a godly man. He is a Christian. In fact, he's described in verse 6 as being righteous in the sight of God. And on top of that, he's a priest. He should have immediately believed. One commentator gave several reasons. He said as a priest, he was extremely familiar with the Old Testament. In fact, there had been others in the Old Testament who had encounters with heavenly beings. He should have immediately come to the conclusion in his mind that if God had done it in the past, he could certainly do it again. Secondly, he was a person of God. In other words, he wasn't just some pagan. He wasn't some atheist out there. He was a man who believed in God. He wasn't someone who believed that God was some fabrication of man's mind and man's words. He lived for God. Because he lived for God, he should have believed God. Thirdly, he was leading the people of God in the most solemn act of worship on the very day of this occurrence. He was symbolically offering up the prayers of the people through the incense. And so as a leader of the people of God, if anyone should have a high view of God and what God says, it should have been him. And if all of that was just out of his mind, listen, the fear of the moment should have said it all. It should have told him that something other than from the earth was there. And if something other than from the earth was there, it must be from God. Because of that, he should have believed. But he doesn't. He doesn't believe. And we have to take note of that here. Take note of it carefully, because not to believe what God says is always a serious matter. To not believe what God says is a very serious matter in the eyes of God, no matter who you are. Why? Why? Because to not believe what God says is to impugn the very character of God. Let me say that again. To not believe what God says is to impugn the very character of God. In other words, to disbelieve God is to implicitly say that God cannot or will not do what He said. To disbelieve God is to implicitly say God cannot or God will not do what He said. Now think about the implications of that. Think about the implications of that reality in our very lives. let, Let me just read what the implications are for us. Just in one quick reading. Paul to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Paul said, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Because I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as if one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, who am I fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith, your belief, is in vain. And moreover, we, have, we are found to be false witnesses of God. Why? Because we witnessed against God that He raised Christ whom He didn't raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished And if we hoped in Christ in this life only, then we of all men are the most to be pitied. You see the implications of the reality of disbelieving God? The implications of the reality of disbelieving God on even the smallest of things means that your faith is worthless. If God could not do what He said He was going to do, then how could God ever raise Christ from the dead and therefore raise any of us from the dead, let alone forgive our sins? You see, this is serious. This is serious. It is serious to not believe all of what God says as a Christian. Why? Because it undermines the validity and the veracity of the entire gospel message. You cannot open the door of unbelief, even a shed, even a crack, and it not affect the rest of the gospel. The good news is no longer good news. In fact, it is very bad, deceptive news if God is powerless to actually do what He says and has promised. As Christians, we are commanded to live by what? Faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. That is simply to say that every day is a day of faith that is filled with hours of faith that are consumed by minutes of faith, that are made up of seconds of faith. It is all of faith, what We are people of faith, and therefore we must believe what God says. We must. Zacharias is in the moment. And in that moment, he forgets all that he knew. He only looks at it from a human perspective. And where human reason begins, beloved, very often that's where faith ends. There is no end to where we will take our lives when we do not believe God. There is no end to it. We cannot think that our years in the Christian life alone will be enough to sustain us when we are being challenged to exercise faith. Zacharias was an old man who walked with God a long time. And yet here he is in the twilight years of his life not believing. Remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve had not yet even experienced any kind of sin flowing from their own heart. They're in the garden. They're in the perfect place. Sin had not even been effect on the earth. There was no sinful effect, no sin in their hearts. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. No one had a more perfect and yet wonderful time with God and yet Both chose to disbelieve God. Both chose to believe the lie rather than to believe what God said. How much more we must be diligent. How much more we must watch our own hearts for those little pockets, those little areas of hidden unbelief that we choose to exercise when believing God seems so crazy and it just seems so wacky to do so. The world says that you can't love until you love yourself first. The Bible says deny yourself daily. The world says don't worry about immorality and impurity. Take life in your own hands and get all you can because this is your best life now. God says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, the world says don't worry about not going to church to be with God's people. Don't worry about that. After all, you might preserve your life. God's Word says don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. You see, Zacharias had hidden unbelief. He had hidden unbelief that was revealed under the illuminating pressure of God's Word. And that's where ours will be revealed. As we spend time under the pressure of God's Word, Zacharias didn't believe the message. And so what's the angel's response? What's the angel's response? This is action number two, verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to, to bring you this good news. It's, it's hard to read that verse and not try to alter your voice to become the Gabriel voice, right? I mean, you're trying to figure out there what kind of voice he said that he said, Listen, Zacharias, I'm Gabriel, man. Come on. Or say, Listen, pal. Don't you know who I am? Are you out of your human mind? It's apparent that you're out of your human mind. I am Gabriel. You know who I am. You know I'm Gabriel. You notice he's not asking a question. He's making a statement. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. That's who I am, Gabriel. I'm not asking you a question. You know who I am. In fact, if you understand the original language of the Greek text, some of you are looking at that and studying that, maybe even now, you notice the name Gabriel is in the emphatic position in, this, in the grammar, in the sentence. It it's, comes first. That simply means this isn't just some angel, this is Gabriel. I mean, put emphasis there. This is Gabriel. The Bible tells us that there are myriads and myriads of angels. We don't know the exact number. Myriad in actuality means an uncountable number. Michael always seems to be sent by God when there is supernatural battles to be received. That's that's the only other named angel that we know, Michael. When there's some kind of supernatural battle going on, it's Michael that is dispatched by God to go and to fight. And then there's Gabriel. Gabriel stands in the presence of God and he seems to be God's primary messenger. So when God has a message to bring to his people, he sends Gabriel to deliver that message. For example, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and following, it was Gabriel that was sent to Daniel to tell Daniel of the prophecy of the coming and the 70th week prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, which is all about the tribulation period. It was Gabriel that gave that message. It's Gabriel, by the way, who will speak again in verse 26 in the sixth month of Elizabeth's birth. Gabriel is sent from God, once again dispatched to the city of Galilee, or to, into Galilee, the city of Nazareth. So he's the one who has been sent to deliver God's word to Zacharias. And he says, in essence, listen, pal, I'm Gabriel, I'm not just any angel. I'm not just your run-of-the-mill supernatural angel, I'm Gabriel. That would have surely struck a chord with Zacharias. Why? Because Zacharias is a priest. Zacharias knew the Old Testament. Zacharias was a man of God. He's a Bible man. And Gabriel appeared in the Old Testament with big messages. So he says, I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent directly from God to you. And my message to you, notice, is good news. I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. This is God's word for you. This is God's word, Gabriel. And it's good news. That's the same word for gospel. We say that when we mean something serious. This is good gospel word. We say that sometimes just with generic stuff. This is, this is gospel. I'm going to bring you gospel words. By the way, everything from the word of God is gospel words. Why? Because it's all good news. It's all good news. Listen, Zacharias, you shouldn't be fearful. I have good news. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife's going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. God is saving his people and you, well, you're not believing it. You're not believing it. So from Gabriel's response, we get God's just retribution. Verse 20, behold, You shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Oh, how sinful it is for us to not believe God. Unbelief is so sinful in the sight of God, it is exceedingly sinful. Why? Because the momentary unbelief of this godly man Brought down upon him a heavy chastening from God. What's that chastening? You are going to be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. We don't get Luke writing, Zechariah saying, okay, "Okay, okay, how long is that going to be?" Because I could quickly change my mind. I mean, there's none of that interaction going on. This is declaration time. There's no talking. God is speaking, Zacharias is listening, and things are happening. And two things are going to happen to Zacharias. One is that you will not be able to say anything. And two, you will not be able to hear anything. 400 years of silence from God has now ended. And in a moment's notice, silence has returned to Zacharias. You will be silent, he says, and unable to speak. That's two different effects upon him. You're going to be deaf and mute until the time comes. You don't believe God's word, then you won't be able to hear God's word. It's a judgment that fits the offense. In other words, the very instruments on our bodies that were created by God to shout praises to God and to hear from God, for Zacharias, they're now made ineffective. And it wouldn't be for a day, it wouldn't be for a week. It would be for at least nine months, the normal gestation period for a human in the womb. And so every day, Zacharias wakes up, And he wakes up into this silent world from his sleep, which would be a daily reminder that he should have taken God's word seriously. I should have listened. By the way, just a side note, it wouldn't have been normal for Elizabeth to be with Zacharias while he was carrying out his priestly duties when it happened. So she wouldn't have known anything about Zacharias until he returned home. And when he got home, he couldn't even speak to her about what happened. That would have been an interesting homecoming. It wasn't like today where you have some kind of other way to communicate. Oh, hold on, honey, I'll just text you what's going on. There's no red Walmart around where you can go down and buy pencil and paper and say, give me a pad or write out what happened. No, that's not happening. Yeah, none of that in the communicative process. It would have been very difficult at best just to get some parchment and a quill so he could write down something. You say, why do you believe that he was both deaf and mute? Well, first, because I think that's what the text means by what it says. When it says he shall be silent and unable to speak, it would have been very easy to just say, you'll be silent or you won't be able to speak. But just because you lose your speaking capability doesn't mean you lose your hearing capability. And yet, here in the text, Luke is very careful, as a careful historian, to give us all the facts and only the facts. You shall be silent and you'll be unable to speak. But also, notice over in verse 62, John is being born. And in verse 61, they say to Elizabeth, there's no one among your relatives who is called by that name because Elizabeth had said we're gonna, he's going to be called John. And they made what? Signs to his father. I mean, John's in his own little silent world. He, he doesn't even hear the people talking. He sees lips moving. He sees his wife talking to them. He, he doesn't know what's going on. They're making signs to him. Hey, hey, over there. Hey, pay attention. What do you want him called? And what's he do? Give me a tablet. I need that little parchment. I want to write this down. He can't speak, he can't hear. And he writes down what he writes, and they're all astonished. That's why I believe he was both deaf and mute. Listen, beloved, God is to be be believed when he speaks. God is to be believed when He speaks. It is the sin of unbelief that will usher an untold number of people into hell. That's the reason. We're all sinners by nature, and yet the reason people go to hell is because they refuse to believe God. They die in their sins because they refuse to believe. You say, really? Yeah, Hebrews 3 says that many were wandering in the desert for 40 years, being led by God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter three verse sixteen. For they, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses, and with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But those who were disobedient. Okay, so now you have rebellion. You got disobedience. You got provoking of God. Okay, but it's it's kind of vague. What are they doing? I mean, is that is that really unbelief? Yeah, the writer of Hebrews says verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you will die in your sins because you do not believe. Beloved we must us not be like that. We need to daily watch and strive against the sin of unbelief. Unbelief will rob us of joy. Unbelief will weaken us of the daily resolve to war against the flesh. Unbelief will, will cast a, a downtrodden shadow over the brightness of our heavenly hope. The late J.C. Ryle said it succinctly. Here's what he said. In all that respects the pardon of our sins and the acceptance of our souls, let it be the settled maxim in our Christianity to trust every word of God implicitly and beware of unbelief. Unquote. Zacharias' response was unbelief. Gabriel's reaction was astonished clarification. And the implementation of a just retribution was given out by God. So, what's the following result? Verse 21 to 25. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, they kept making signs to to him. He was making signs to them because he couldn't probably go on You know, pointing to his mouth, pointing to his ears. They knew something took place, came about when the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. Here's Zacharias, even during his priestly service, still having to do it and he can't hear anything. Can't say anything. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, "This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men." Well, in the normal process of the priestly moment, it wouldn't have taken long for a priest to go into the holy place to offer incense on the altar. And when he would come out, the normal task was to pronounce a blessing on the people. He would come out and and share with them a blessing. But when Zacharias comes out of the temple, he can't do that. He has an inability to speak. He has an inability to pronounce anything. It's impossible for him to do any of it. What would he normally have said to the people? Well, it's normal that a priest would come out and say these words. They're recorded in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24-26. to He would have said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. None of that could be done. None of it. He would have surely been in an agitated state. His face might have even had some sense of whiteness to it. People knew something happened. They didn't know what took place. Zacharias was trying to make signs, but only Zacharias and Gabriel and God knew what took place in that place. When Zacharias had finished his week of service, whatever time was left, he couldn't hear, couldn't speak. His only way to communicate would be to either write something down or try to write in the dirt or something. The text tells us he went home that would have been an exciting time. There was no, hi, honey, I'm home. Oh, really? Hi. How was your week, dear? Well, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. I, I was able to, to go in and offer incense to, for the people, to the prayers of, by the, before God. I was chosen by lot to do that. It was incredible. Oh, and by the way, I was told by an angel that in your old age, you're going to have a child. None of that happened. It would have been a painful labor for him simply to communicate some of what happened to him with his wife. But the result, the result was all that God had said came to be just as he said. God did what God said. Now we can have this lock this down in our minds. God's word is precisely true. God's word is precisely true. Elizabeth became pregnant in accordance with the divine promise spoken months before. She goes into seclusion. Most likely because she didn't want any more ridicule about her supposed pregnancy, right? If she would have went out and told people she's pregnant, yeah, Elizabeth kind of lost it. She thinks she's pregnant now. But after five months, there'd be no unbelief in anybody that God had removed her barrenness. And so she spends five months just pondering the ways of God in her life. And she praises him for his intervention and his kindness to her. And her heart is filled with all of those realities that come with one who believes. You say, what's that? She's filled with joy. She's filled with thanksgiving. She's filled with gratitude for God's goodness in her life. I'm sure in that very moment that she becomes pregnant. And even as they ponder all of that, as she remains in seclusion, Zacharias would be fulfilling exactly what verse 14 said. You will have joy and gladness. You will have joy and gladness. I'm sure in the silence of his heart, even though he couldn't hear her, hear her laughter, he could see her smile and he had joy and thanksgiving and gratitude for the goodness of God. We know that's in his heart because the moment that his mouth is loosed, he speaks and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 67, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's the first words out of his mouth in over nine months. The last words that he spoke out of his mouth were, how am I going to know this for certain? The first words, after God's chastening hand upon him, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. What a story. What a story. Even the best people, even the most mature Christian can allow unbelief to cause all kinds of untold trouble in their life. But God is gracious. Don't you love the fact that our unbelief never diverts God's purpose? It never diverts it. It never upends it. It never changes what God is going to accomplish. And in believing, when we embrace his word, we find great joy we find untold thanksgiving and utter gratitude for the goodness of God in our life. Let let me just end where we started this morning when I was reading from John chapter 5. Let me just end with the words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sustaining me this morning. Thank you for encouraging our hearts through this magnificent, miraculous story. This event of history that is true, precise, accurate, true in every way because it's your word. Father, so often we we hear your word, we hear what it says, we're faced with the impossible reality of how that might work itself out or if it's true at all and we go away Actually just not believing in all oh, the lack of joy, the untold suffering that we need not have to bear if we would just believe. Lord, this morning as Christians, those who believe upon Jesus Christ, we believe, we believe, help our unbelief. For those who do not believe at all, we pray that you would open their eyes, for we know without you they cannot believe, they will not believe. Cause them to believe, cause them to see themselves for who they are before you, not because we said it, but because you said it. Help them believe your word, for it is true in every way. Well, thank you. Thank you for it all even the chastening that you bring upon our lives, because we know that you are a loving father and you chasten those whom you love. Thank you for chastening Zacharias. Thank you for granting them the gift of a son that he might be the forerunner of the Messiah, pointing to the one in whom we are to believe. Thank you for that message of hope. Help us to be proclaimers of it. All to your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.